Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ange Sprock-Fried, and I find it a little bit more than ironic that the last time I was here teaching, the topic was justice, and today is peace. So I guess it's a good assumption if we do a series on mercy, I'll be up here too. Since as you know, our children are justice, packs, and mercy. But I consider it an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning, um, talking about God with us in the hurting and the pain, um, but also the peace of God in the midst of those things. Peace is a passion that's been on my heart and in my life for many, many years. And not just in my profession as a counselor, but as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, just who I am. God hardwired me in that way to purposefully pursue peace. So just as I would reference in order to avoid plagiarizing anything that's come from sources other than myself, I really have to give a shout out to a lot of you here sitting and looking at me this morning because it's not me teaching as much as reflecting back what I've learned so much and heard with you and from you as you have walked alongside me in my preparation for this topic. Um, My house church last week being a sounding board, Tim and Tina Weaver and Ince and Jeanette and Mary Magdalene was there, and of course, my faithful companion, my life partner, Dwayne Freed. Woo! Gets me emotional. Um, Chrissy Balecki, talking outside the gym. Jenny Pitson, after our company Christmas party, and Ben, your emails. Doug, thank you for babysitting my kids so I could focus. And Megan, JR. Brittany Hoff, and even April Matt, something that you wrote was forwarded to me, which you will find out later, how that's all incorporated into what I have to share this morning. So thank you all, not only for what you have said and done, but for being the body of Christ. And I think the process of preparation itself has taught me so much about peace and the context of community. So I'm just so grateful for you, Renew. That said, um, let's pray. God, we know that you are the one preparing our hearts and our minds. And even as we are in this Advent season awaiting a hope and expectation and anticipation, we know you are at work and you have been working and you're with us and you'll continue your good work. So I just pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Is this cutting in and out? Are we good? Okay. The young man sat across from me in the counseling office that day as he had many days before. He tried to convince me that he didn't need the extra time or attention and he was ready to go back to class. And it almost worked, but the look in his eyes told me a different story. So, I invited him to stay, and as he continued to talk, he began to share how stressed he felt with schoolwork, which turned to talking about how sad he was that his grandfather had recently passed away. And then the talking turned to how overwhelmed he was 
and ultimately how suicidal. The talking turned to tears and I sat with him in the silences and I listened as he spoke. I prayed for him and I stayed with him until his mom came to take him to an assessment and an intake at a psych hospital. So today, I ask you to enter with me into a journey of exploring and perhaps experiencing our pain in a new way. We begin as with a microscope or a magnifying glass, zoomed in on our own individual and personal hurt, as I described in the example of this young man. Each of our stories are different, but each of us have hurt in our lives. Last gathering, JR asked us to consider what distinguishes Christian hope from the hallmark hope or other hope that's out there. And I guess today I pose a similar question with distinguishing Christian peace to um, other part, peace. We hear peace a lot, but particularly in the midst of our hurt and our brokenness. Does our peace come from the hope we have? Hurting, suffering, pain, grief, and loss. These are all words we can relate to some of us more than others. It's a universal experience of our humanity. Ever since the start of our separation with the fall, God's healing, redemptive, and reconciling work has not stopped, and it will continue until he wipes away every tear, and there will be no more death, sadness, crying, or pain that's described in the book of Revelation. As a counseling psychologist, I want to make a clear caveat here, a professional disclaimer of sorts in distinguishing an important difference between hurt and trauma. Both involve pain and suffering, and God can certainly heal both by his grace. But trauma is an emotional experience that's not processed by the brain and can prevent normal functioning if it turns to repression, internalization, or disassociation. So if you've ever experienced trauma, I encourage you to seek the therapeutic treatment and professional help in order to resolve it. That said, all of us need help in processing hurt and pain. We're part of the body of Christ and our pain is never meant to be experienced alone or isolated. As Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 15, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. But what does that look like? What's the point of processing through it together? Typically, there's three ways that we respond to pain, ourselves or others. We can resist it and fight against it or the circumstances around it. We can redirect our attention by distracting ourselves or blaming someone else for it. Or resignation, we can resign ourselves or accept it without putting parameters or requirements around it and truly offering ourselves and our pain up to God unconditionally and without reservation. So resist, redirect, and resignation. Perhaps this example I heard from a trauma trainer might help. What's often the reaction or the response you have when you see a child running toward you with an expression like this little girl on her face? What questions do you ask? What happened? Are you okay? What's wrong? Well, according to this trainer, in the moment, the best two questions you can ask 
is where in your body does it hurt and what does it feel like? This brings the individual insight into the internal and awareness of the present. It grounds the young person in the here and now to feel the pain versus think about the context or to avoid or distract away from the pain. Don't distract or stop the crying because suppressing the pain, which becomes eventually subconscious suffering, is not the solution to the problem. By looking fear or despondency or grief in the face and entering fully into it, eventually it becomes looking rather than being. No judgment, just seeing it, being aware of it, practicing mindfulness. It's a process and there's always physiological or body responses to pain. Even in the deepest parts of our brain, there's an existential fear that your survival's at stake. You know, your identity, anything you're attached to is threatened or separation anxiety. These are all innate in our humanity. But it's not a sustainable way for our body to function and practice of being present is a way to counteract that ongoing stress in the brain and the body. 99% of worry and suffering is phantom or truly fear. It's not reality. It's not happening in the here and now. So when the experience of suffering is encountered more mindfully, the suffering actually decreases. Now I'm going to move the magnifying glass a little bit further out um, to see beyond an individual hurt you have or someone you know personally that's suffering from to a national or political context. We all live in this country which is powerfully influential and deeply divided at the same time and we're grieving, all of us, some of us more than others. In response to people's worrying around him, Jesus said, do not worry, look at the birds of the air, see the flowers of the field, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well, in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. This is not like the response he gave when he was tempted in the desert by Satan. When he pointed to the authority of scripture. No, worry and fear do not just go away by our knowledge and understanding of God and his word, but by our collective experience of and awareness of its truth in and around us. Since the elections, hate crimes are on the rise and no matter where on the political spectrum you stand or what color your skin is, we're all in the same storm. This isn't a political platform. If you rewind the tape to a couple series ago in the summer when Doug talked about our misconceptions of God, God is not a Democrat or a Republican, and our allegiance is not to an elephant or a donkey, it's to the lamb. I'm asking you to look at the social awareness of the state of our country. What or who is our peace in the midst of this storm? With just a word, Jesus woke and calmed the raging storm of the sea. How do we join him in the work of making peace in the midst of the storm? Being a peacemaker, I believe, is a misnomer. Apart from having the Prince of Peace in us and us being in him, we cannot make anything outside of ourselves. I remember as a 16-year-old, um, junior in high school. I was an athlete in three sports. Every summer I was active doing something, all-star. 
in the fall it was tennis, in the winter it was basketball, in the spring it was swimming. And, um, you know, I had a lot of expectations about my swimming career. And come winter, I basically did basketball just to stay in shape for the upcoming swimming season. And it was the second day of preseason tryouts, and I came down from a rebound, and the ball went one way, and my knee went the other. And I went down, screaming, crying, praying, cursing ensued. It was like the most intense pain I've ever felt. And I've given birth three times. <laughs> but I think for my life and my personal journey, God grabs my attention when it's physical pain. And when I, as an athlete, had based my identity on what I could do and perform. And so after, it was about this time of year, right before Christmas, underwent complete reconstructive surgery of the anterior cruciate ligament, ACL, and was in um, intensive rehab in going, going into my swim season that year. And I remember, I'm gonna borrow a chair here. I remember sitting on my parents' bed, bedside and part of my therapy was simply to lift my knee. Maybe an inch, maybe two. And I was sitting there and I could not move it. I tried, I focused, I did everything I could. I could not lift my leg. And I flopped back on my parents' bed and I cried and I cried. And the only thing that came to mind was John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That never rang so true in my life, and to this day, it's one of my life verses. So going back to being true peacemakers, perhaps this is the great mystery of Christ in us. The hope of glory, Colossians talks about. It's what it's all about. With and through the glorious riches of this mystery, we can enter into and join others who are suffering and be in their pain and with their pain as a yoke fellow. A yoke fellow is one who is more than a close companion, but one who walks alongside. Thanks, Doug. One who walks alongside you. Is this on? Okay. And under the burden, bearing the weight evenly and plowing the field as a partner, an equal, a co-laborer. Perhaps this is what was meant when Paul talks about this in his letter to the Corinthians. He writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffered. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, 
so also you share in our comfort. Last week, the Wall Street Journal ran an article featuring the empathy trap in which the author Paul Bloom argued that in policy and politics, trying to feel the pain of others is a bad idea. Empathy distorts our reasoning and makes us biased, tribal, and often cruel. Mr. Bloom challenged the reader to consider your own biases. You can always find someone to empathize with on either side of an issue. He writes, in moral and political debates, our positions often reflect our choice of whom to empathize with. We might feel empathy with minorities abused and killed by law enforcement, or with the police themselves whose lives are often in peril, with minority students who can't get into college, or with white students turned away even though they have better grades. Do you empathize with the mother of a toddler who shoots himself with a handgun? or with a woman who's been raped because she's forbidden to buy a handgun to defend herself, with the Syrian refugee who just wants to start a new life, or the American citizen who loses his job to an immigrant. Well, it's a good thing God doesn't empathize with us. He doesn't choose size, and he created everyone and everything beautifully on both sides of any line that we can draw or divide or distinguish ourselves apart from each other. So how could he see since he created it? He is a God of compassion. He comes and is with us in passion, in person. So the question really is not whose side is God on? The question is whose side are you on? Are you on God's side? Are you with God or against God? Just as the people of God did countless times in the Bible, I'm going to ask us to do more collectively remembering of the past and the promises of God we we serve. Not just who he is, but what he's done for us as the Renew community. For the sake of allowing that time and group involvement, this will be in the going forward with your house churches next week. But the final zooming out on the lens of this magnifying glass of pain expanding our thoughts and attention is to the level of all creation and the very universe itself. Romans 8, 22 to 24, we know that everything God has made is waiting until now in pain like a woman ready to give birth to a child. Not only the world, but we also have been waiting with pain inside us. We have the spirit as the first part of God's promise. So we're waiting for God to finish making us his own children. I mean, we are waiting for our bodies to be made free. We were saved to have this hope. If we can see what we're waiting for, that's not really hope. People don't hope for something they already have. When it talks about everything God has made is waiting, like a woman ready to give birth to a child. I mean, going through that experience three times, this passage not only relates to me personally, but universally as a woman and the great miracle of life. Um, But trust me when I say the Lamaze classes and all the practice of deep breathing are not the thing that gets you through it. It's the child. It's the actual baby (laughs) that got me through it anyway. And our world is also in great pain natural disasters, wars, human rights issues. Our world is not the only one suffering. 
In college, I actually took an astronomy class by a world-renowned astrologer, and he would literally tell us we needed to know everything for the test. <laughs> it was one of the most challenging and also the most rewarding academic endeavors I've ever encountered. We had labs in which we had to stay up late and sometimes most of the night to capture a celestial event from the observatory. And this is a picture of a supernova. A supernova, according to Wikipedia, is an astro astronomical event that occurs during the last celestial evolutionary stage of a massive star's life, whose dramatic and catastrophic destruction is marked by one final titanic explosion. For a short time, this causes the sudden appearance of a new bright star before slowly fading from sight over several weeks or months. So its beauty is in its tragedy. The whole of creation, even the whole of eternity, finds its hope in the future, in the hope of heaven. As Revelation says, a new creation, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is not only our hope, but our peace in what lies ahead. In the future, it extends through all eternity. We live in these in-between times, the already and the not yet, we join with all creation in this waiting for what will come. A blogger, Jen Hatmaker, writes this. I am reminded as we practice waiting this Advent, some waiting is excruciating. We are waiting for mended relationships, prodigal children, deferred hope, or elusive peace. We're waiting for Jesus to show up and return joy to the world. Don't forget that as you're waiting for Jesus, you're also waiting with Jesus. We never suffer alone. He came. And Advent reminds us to prepare our hearts even in the wait. After all, these few days we have on earth are really the only ones we'll ever get to practice faith. One day, faith will be an obsolete because we will know and see in full. So we work on waiting well. We offer our faith, however shaky, however thin, however tinged with sorrow. We walk with Jesus in the pain. We don't just wait for his appearance at the end of it all. We tell him, even now I love you. Even now I believe in you. Even now I trust you. As I conclude our time together this morning on the topic, I want to draw your attention to the progression of this journey through pain and peace from the individual person to the national and political to the universal and all of creation. Then also how peace is experienced in the present, in the past, and in the future. Like, like a ripple effect, God is with us. Our pain and his peace is pervasive. I'm going to close with a song played over the speakers and an image on the screen. The going forward will have a couple different types of prayers you may choose to try with your house church. But for now, I invite you to experience a mindfulness exercise by focusing on your breath and relaxing your body. And for a few moments, we'll have silence before the music begins. It's Psalm 126. As you reflect on this topic and listen to the music and see the image before you, 
Together and individually, we're reflecting on how God, the Prince of Peace, is with us in our pain and hurting.